You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians Daily. I am your host, Sarah Brady-Wagner. And today we're going to talk about our my home state, North Carolina, because the 9th Congressional District is, excuse my language listeners, kind of a clusterfuck at this point. The whole situation is really complicated, and today I'm here with my husband, Chris, to go over all of the details of this layered situation to explain why we're probably going to have a special election in North Carolina. Hello. So, what's going on in NCO9? Because I know there's some garbage going on. There's voter fraud, right? Well, there is electoral fraud, which is a little bit different. So, the situation going on in the 9th District is that there are some allegations that of ballot tampering with absentee ballots. There are two counties that have unusually high rates of absentee ballots that were requested but not returned. And there's a lot of factors that go into this and that go into how we have ended up in the situation we are now, which is kind of a story to explain. So if they had the ballots requested and just not returned, they just weren't filled out or are they thrown out or destroyed or really we don't know they just kind of disappeared and it's notable that there were a bunch more dis- ballots that disappeared in these two counties bladen and sampson county in north carolina's ninth district than in all of the other counties in the district so a couple things that are important in north carolina uh, that are different than other states is that when it comes to absentee ballots, anyone can request an absentee ballot for any reason or no reason at all. Anyone. 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 Yes. So uh, Literally there, anyone. Well, you know, there are other states, um, Washington and I want to say Colorado, who both have um, all absentee ballots. So they do only by mail voting. And so this is not, what? it's not something that like we're an outlier in this. You know, we allow anyone who chooses to to get an absentee ballot to vote by mail. Um, whereas there are other states where it's more strict. So they only allow absentee ballots if you have a disability or if you have, you know, a, you can prove that you would not be able to get time off of work in order to go to vote that day. You know, you prove that you would not be able to vote in person on election day. But you said they only do absentee ballot voting. Well, that's in other states. In North Carolina, we do both. But they don't have in-person voting at all? No, not North, not what? in Washington or Colorado. It's all by mail. I would also like to point out those are the only two states that have... Those were the first two states that had uh, legal recreational that's, marijuana. That's where I went. So, you know, there's there's some jokes to be made about that. But the the important thing to remember here is anyone can get... And anyone can request an absentee ballot... But you don't even have to be like a legal resident of that state or... Well, no. Well, in North Carolina, you do have to be a, you know, a registered voter in North Carolina. Okay. So um, it's not... We anyone. don't have any sort of automatic voter registration process. You do have to actively choose yeah. to register as a voter. Yeah. Um, we also allow... Our, our felon uh, voting laws are, are fairly... Uh, I, would say, I wouldn't say liberal, but fairly normal uh, if you are on... If you are currently incarcerated or if you are on post-incarceration release, which would be probation, then you cannot vote. But as soon as you are released from state supervision, you are automatically restored the right to vote and you can register again without any penalty. Um, But 
in Sampson and Bladen County, there were an unusually high number of people who requested absentee ballots, but those absentee ballots were never actually returned to the Board of Elections. And this is something that you can see easily uh, on a daily basis updated online uh, in North Carolina. All of our voter registration and our voting statistics are updated on a continual basis until they are eventually certified, which in the case of the North Carolina's 9th District... (laughs) It's still not a certified race yet. So who actually says that the amount of absentee ballot votes cast in this um, in this district is abnormally high? Like, is it just some number or is it somebody that actually looks at all the other districts and says, oh, wait, this one is... Well, both Wait. of those, actually. So there was no official person who's assigned to this task. It's just because all of this information is available so openly in North Carolina, uh, citizens, basically, you know, gumshoe reporters were able to look at this information and a particular blog, uh, North State Politics, uh, pointed out that there was this really high inconsistency and that something was wrong. More than that, there have been... You might say rumors, uh, talk that things have been going on in these areas before. This is not a new allegation. Uh, Bladen County and Sampson County, but Bladen County in particular, has been the subject of some uh, rumors and speculation uh, really over the past decade on both sides of the aisle. Now, you just said on both sides of the aisle. I think it's important to note that there was a middle ground, uh, Jeff Scott. Well, that is a good point you put there. Uh, You know, the libertarian candidates (laughs) at no point have uh, been involved in this ongoing electoral fraud investigation and allegations. But over the past decade, uh, the main person that has been identified in this whole issue, which is McCray Dowless, he is actually an individual who is employed by both Democrats and Republicans. So when I say both sides of the aisle, you know, I mean, unfortunately, the people who are elected in North Carolina right now which is just limited to Democrats and Republicans. Uh, You know, in this last election, we did have a libertarian candidate who uh, took five times the amount that uh, the was the difference between the two party candidates. Was that a Houston? Uh, No, that was Jeff Scott. He so who, you know, it's interesting that he's been kind of ignored in this whole narrative. But the main issue that we've that we've uh, emphasized right now in this conversation is that North Carolina law does specify that another election must be called if the if the inconsistencies would be enough to swing the election. That is so nice of them to just say, oh, we're going to have another election, so you're going to have to put more money into this that you don't have. Well, you know, so but there's there's the issue of you have to have, you know, consistency in your you have to have faith in the um, electoral process. When it comes to the... So the Republican candidate in this case was Mark Harris. Right. There were also some issues with the campaign when it came to the um, primary to begin with. I think before we get too far into it, you should give me a rundown of the key players and a brief synopsis of what exactly is going on so I can have an idea of what you're talking about. So what has happened here is that there has been allegations of ballot tampering and electoral fraud when it comes to absentee ballots that were requested in Bladen and Samson County specifically. Right. The person who is alleged to have been basically the kingpin of this whole situation is McCray Dowless. Okay, so he was the campaign manager for Harris. 
He was a consultant who was hired by the Harris campaign. Okay. And he hired uh, individuals. And it seems like based on... um, Based on statements that have been made in, uh, not subpoenas, but um, statements made in affidavits by individuals who had uh, their ballots collected from them, that the Harris campaign and McCray Dallas specifically had hired off the books, you know, paid in cash, and in one case actually had apparently bought a car uh, to compensate people for harvesting ballots, which is actually a legal term in North Carolina. So harvesting ballots refers to the practice of collecting absentee ballots um, when you are not the individual who is submitting the ballot or an immediate close family member of that person. So Chris, you're my husband. You could submit my absentee ballot. You could put it in the mail. You could take it to the Board of Elections. But beyond that, I mean, my parents could, that would pretty much be the limit. Anyone beyond that legally is not allowed to turn in my absentee ballot. In this case... That makes sense. In this case, McCray Dowless is alleged to have, in an off-the-books and under-the-table manner, uh, have hired, actually, um, some of his own family members to have gone door-to-door to recipients of absentee ballots in Sampson and Bladen County to collect their ballots. In some cases, these ballots were even uh, supposedly they were incomplete or they had only had, uh, they were unsigned. You know, in a lot of cases, there were sworn affidavits, again, from citizens who say that these people came by and collected their ballots from them. And these ballots appear to have never been turned into the Board of Elections. Um, And in many of the Hmm. cases, these were ballots that, could likely have been assumed to have gone to Harris's opponent, uh, Dan McCready. These were a lot of Democratic ballots. Or Jeff Scott. Yeah, or Jeff Scott. You know, there are, that's the thing, is there's really no way to know where these votes gone because yeah. they kind of disappeared. Um, but they disappeared because they were intentionally harvested or collected by these employees of um, McCray Dowless. So the difference between the Harris campaign and Dan McCready, the Democrat in the race, was only 900 votes in the general election. And I'm assuming Jeff Scott got more. Jeff Scott pulled about 5,000 votes. Good job. Jeff Scott is a really interesting character in all of this because right now he's essentially been ignored. He's a good dude. Because until a special election is officially called, he's he's not a relevant character in the narrative here. Okay, so special election. How is that fair to libertarians when we have a significantly lower budget? Well, because it's fair to the voters in general. You don't want an election that has, you know, that brings someone who is clearly illegitimately elected. In this case, uh, North Carolina law defines that as being able to prove that enough votes would have that would have swung the election. So the Board of Elections has to prove that there's been at least I roughly say a thousand votes that have been prevented from being cast or have been tainted in order to call for a new election. And the Republicans are saying that, no, you don't have proof of that. But the fascinating thing that's happened here is that as of today, which is December 29th, we don't actually have any sort of board of elections because in a completely unrelated case, uh, well, I say completely unrelated, but this is all the complicated North Carolina politics. 
the board that we had, which is the governing body that would be responsible for certifying this election in the first place, was actually deemed to be constitution to be unconstitutional just before the election. They were allowed to stay in place until after the election, but recently a judge did rule that they had to dissolve by noon today because they were no longer a legitimate governing force. Every member. Yes. So the reason Everyone. behind this is that in 2016, a Democrat was elected as governor in North Carolina. This is... Cooper. Cooper, yes. So Cooper was elected to replace uh, Pat McCrory, who is best remembered as the man responsible for HB2, uh, which those of you outside of the state will probably know as the North Carolina bathroom bill. It was brought to national attention because it was legislating... It made North Carolina the laughing stock <laughs> of the country for 2016. It really did. So... In 2016, though, uh, thank you. In 2016, Pat McCrory was voted out of office and replaced uh, by Cooper. And his role as Democrat in office spurned the supermajority of Republicans in the General Assembly and Senate to pass a series of bills that basically they were attempts to strip the governor of his power. They threw a tantrum. Yeah, they did. And it's yeah, funny because now in 2018 has now been repeated in Wisconsin and I believe at least one other state where, again, you know, a super majority or a clear majority of one party uh, tries to take away power from the newly elected majority of uh, or from the newly elected governor who happens to be of another party. Republicans cannot take a loss well. The sad thing is it's not just Republicans, though. Democrats, I mean... I think the first step to fixing this is to eliminate the time period between election and inauguration. Lame duck period is becoming a more oh and more problematic God. issue, especially as in North Carolina, our legislators are able and have routinely called special sessions in order to pass legislation to intentionally shift the balance of power. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say they're crooked because they are following to a to a T the letter of North Carolina law. Pettiness breeds pettiness. It, what it has done is it highlights, uh, you know, it highlights the logical, moral, ethical, whatever we want to say, inconsistencies, the problems in our law. You know, it, it's a thing that you could even say at a, at a more national level, Trump has done to federal constitutional law. When you have very problematic, but very openly uh, accepting of the fact that they are seemingly problematic legislators, you are able to see where the law falls short. So we're talking about law right now. I think it's important to note that North Carolina just passed a uh, voter ID amendment. And so the Republicans drafted this bill that I'm... So that was another fun layer to this whole <laughs> issue is that when it first came to light uh, that there was some inconsistencies and possible issues around fraud relating to the absentee ballots in blatant Sampson County... The Republican Party was also simultaneously, like at the same time on the same day that this was coming to light, they were involved in a special section in the General Assembly to fulfill the requirements of a newly passed constitutional amendment uh, that was on the ballot and did pass by about a 55 to 45 percent margin in uh, North Carolina that requires photographic identification in order to vote from now on. This was passed because... Uh, in 20, 
15, I think it was, the Republicans passed a bill, uh, a similar bill that would have required just by power of um, by power of law and statute that everyone had to have a photographic ID. And this law was overturned by a federal court and found to violate uh, the Equal Protection Clause and to prove racial animus because the legislators were accused of having specifically requested data on the different types of ID that were held by different racial groups and have chosen those that were most likely to be um, used by white people, essentially, and they disallowed those that were most likely to be used by people of color uh, or by assumed Democratic voters. You know, the the go-to example of this is Good old you David wouldn't Lewis. allow a... Well, you, the go-to example of this is that they would not allow a um, student ID, uh, even if it was from a state-issued uh, university. But they uh, they put that in the uh, the bill that they drafted, right? Right. So the new bill that was passed to be compliant with the new um, constitutional amendment, which requires a photographic ID, was a very broad bill that allowed a wide variety of photographic identification, including yeah. uh, student ID issued from a state school and including issuance of a completely free version of a photographic ID if you did not have another valid version that would be accepted they would issue you a photo ID at your local vote at your local um election board All right. so it was a very very broad law that was passed but the republicans were making the argument in the general assembly building that the biggest problem in North Carolina was the risk of in-person voter fraud on election day at the exact same time. Clearly it was That there was real evidence of potential electoral fraud that benefited Republicans in, in absentee ballots in, in North Carolina's 9th District. So they're liars. And they were calling for that election to be certified. So they're either liars, stupid, or cheats. Or hypocrites. Well, yeah, that's a given. But, you know, so there's there's been that issue where you have Republicans who are emphasizing that this is the biggest problem, that we need photo ID. And, you know, I've said in previous podcasts that photo ID is certainly something that has been done well in other states. And I think that our, our version that has been passed now uh, and has been passed through a uh, veto override even Everybody's is, is, is acceptably broad that it makes sure that everyone who needs to have an ID will have access to one. But at the same time, it completely ignores the very real risk that we are, uh, that we are opposed when we allow anyone to have an absentee ballot. And the only thing that we require is for two people to have a signature. There is no limit on how many people can witness or how many uh, people you can witness a ballot of. So, in the case in North Carolina's 9th District, some of the people that were hired by, who, some of the people who were alleged to have been hired by McCray Dallas, they witnessed hundreds of ballots, which indicates that there may have been a situation where they were collecting ballots that were unsigned initially, that they then signed themselves as witnesses without actually having witnessed the individual voting for or having actually completed their own ballot uh you know and that's that's where you get into issues where it's speculative but they're really suspicious conditions 
So there's no way to prove that you had any sort of influence in the people who were filling out these ballots, but it is illegal to turn in ballots who are not, uh, who are not immediate family members. So it brings up the question of why someone who is not an immediate family member of a variety of people, hundreds of people even in a county, would be verifiably responsible for witnessing those ballots if it was not some sort of concerted campaign. It is kind of suspicious, yes. So there's been an ongoing investigation and the Board of Elections refused to certify the election. As it should. The Board of Elections has now been dissolved because it was found unconstitutional based on one of the changes that Republicans tried to make in 2016, which changed the board from being a five-member board that was limited to three of three members of the governor's party and then two members of the second largest party by voter registration in North Carolina, which then would be essentially either two Republicans and three Democrats or three Democrats and two Republicans. Um, the new version of the law and then the secondary new version after the first new version was found unconstitutional uh, allowed for a nine-member board, which was four Republicans, four Democrats, and then one other, which could be either unaffiliated or one of the now three other parties, which would be but Constitution, Libertarian, or Green. Okay, okay. But that then results in one member of the Board of Elections who is essentially representing at least a third of North Carolina voters. Yeah, that's not really fair. Um, but that was also then found to be unconstitutional. So that Good. board was dissolved. And so now we are reverting back to the 2015 five-member board that is, in this case, three Democrats and two Republicans. But to add another layer of confusion and difficulty to this issue, the um, chairman, or not the chairman, the executive director of the Republican Party of North Carolina has refused to submit names uh, to recommend board members to the governor. So and, another hazy fit. Yeah. So the law also, again, makes no provision for what if one of the parties refuses to cooperate. The law provides that the top two parties by voter registration are to submit names to the governor to be appointed to the board of elections. Well, if it's the top two and the second of those two doesn't submit names, then it should go to the third place. Which in this case would be libertarians. There you go. So there has been some encouragement within the Libertarian Party of North Carolina for the the chairman to submit names to the Board of Election, even though technically they're not invited. For the chair of the LP to submit names. Yes. Hey, Susan. (laughs) So... um, but the issue here is that now that the Republicans are simultaneously at this point refusing to play ball and refusing to submit names because the governor wants to appoint an interim board that is consistent with the 2015 version. Of I can think of a couple of libertarians. Um, he wants to submit a board so that they can make a decision on this and either uh, reject the election, call for a new election or certify the election, which is what the Republicans are calling for. But there needs to be some sort of board in place in order to do that. There is no board in place now, but the Republicans are still saying, we think that the election should be certified so that he can be seated on January 3rd. Well, that's just ridiculous. But if the Republicans are the ones that screwed all this up in the first place, why should they not be barred from any sort of special election? 
Because there's no way to directly and legally tie um, culpability for this electoral fraud to the candidate himself. But did he not hire them? Not directly. And that's where you get into important legal distinctions. Mark Harris is the Republican candidate in the campaign. Correct. Mark Harris can be held directly and legally responsible for the actions of his campaign manager. But in this case... I don't have a name for his okay. campaign manager in front of me. You might be able to look it up real quick. I'll move it. But so his campaign manager could, in theory, be held responsible for the actions of the consultants that he hires. But once you add a certain amount of distance between the candidate and the individual who is actually accused of having committed electoral fraud, in this case, it's not necessarily McCray Dallas. McCray Dallas is accused of having coordinated electoral fraud. The individuals who would have had committed it are those who engaged in the ballot harvesting in the first place. This is one of those issues where when you have experienced uh, operatives, you they're able to essentially offload the specific illegal tasks onto lower operatives. You know, it's the idea that the drug dealers are the ones who get arrested. It's not the people who are providing to them. So... McCray Dowless even may not uh, face litigation in this case and may not may not deal with any criminal charges. But the people who actually collected the ballots, those people he hired, may be the ones who serve uh, time. So the one that orchestrated all this might get away scot-free. It's a possibility. If that anything, so he might be the up. only one that is made an example of. But the real issue here is that the Republican candidate, Mark Harris, is... Absolutely not going to be touched. So he gets another chance at re-election. See, I think that's ridiculous. Well, another important issue to note here is that when we are going to redo this election and have our special election, we're going all the way back to the primary. And the primary is alleged to have had issues as well. How is that fair when we have, what, 0.3% of the resources of the two old parties? The laws are not built to take into account who has more resources and who does not. They are take they are designed to take into account that everyone is considered to have equal access. Well, when you write the laws. And if you cannot gain more support, then, oh, well, too bad for you. So if, if you can't get support, that's how it is. That's ridiculous. But that's the state of the law. So it's important to note here that while it may be simple rhetorically to say, oh, well, the Republicans cheated, realistically, when it comes down to the legalities of the case, there may have been electoral fraud that may have benefited the Republican side. But that does not mean that you can in any way hold the Republicans as a party or the Republican candidate as an individual accountable for the actions at play here. But you hired these people. Are you not aware of what your employees are doing? You, you can't necessarily hold someone legally accountable for something that is that many steps removed. That's one of the ways that you get away with such corrupt action is having, what's the term, uh, plausible deniability. So if I hire a hitman to hire a hitman to kill somebody, I can just say, oh, it wasn't me. If you intentionally directed them to do an illegal activity, then you are culpable. However, if you hire someone with the knowledge that they will likely engage in an illegal activity, but you do not ever intentionally direct them to do so, you are not culpable. So they, we just need to find proof. Yes, but the problem is who's going to do that investigation? We don't have a board of elections anymore. So the whole issue here really may be moot and we're having this whole argument, but the point is that the 
House of Representatives on a federal level and the new Democratic majority in specific has already stated that they will not seat Mark Harris. And they will themselves call for a new election, which will again throw us right back to the primaries. So we're going to have another special election in North Carolina, and we're only going to have 12 representatives in the House until we deal with this issue. So libertarians have to have another primary then? Well, we didn't have a primary in the 9th District last time. We had primaries in other areas. But this time, if Jeff Scott wants to run again, then he'll run again. If not, we'll have another candidate. Did he have to pay anything for ballot access? or He did. That? So that will be one thing that I hope the party will uh, pay attention to is whether or not he will be required to pay an additional ballot, what I would consider a ballot access fee, but is a, um, a filing fee in North Carolina. In the case of a congressional election, because it is 1% of the total salary, it's over $1,000 just to get on the ballot. In North that's Carolina. ridiculous. That should not be the case. So Jeff Scott has already paid that amount. Um, but what will... A second time? Uh, no, he's paid it the first time. It'll We don't know yet because they haven't actually called a special election officially whether or not he will be required to pay that a second time. It would time. be theft if he had to pay it again. Well, it, we, we all agree that it was theft that he had to pay it first place. Well, yeah. So, it's double theft. <laughs> so, but what'll be interesting is to see, uh, we now have the difference between now and when the uh, filing period closed for that election is we now have five parties in North Carolina and not just three. We've now got Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, Greens, and Constitution candidates. And there's really no saying who might be involved in a special election. All right. So there's going to be a special election eventually, maybe. Probably in the spring. We're probably looking at a March election. There, there, it's interesting to see how this could benefit uh, libertarian candidates, though, because in in special elections, there are lower turnout in general. And when you have third party candidates who do actively campaign in special elections, they tend to pull a higher percentage than they would in general elections simply because they're if you can get more of your supporters out, there are less people who are just going to come out to vote X team on you know, right. the Democrat and Republican side. You have more people who are intentionally coming out to vote for a candidate. But we also have less resources, and every little thing that we have to put into is exponentially has more effect on us. You know, but that's something that we face at every turn. That's not necessarily something that becomes a valid complaint just because they're having a new election. They're having a new election. They have to raise new resources as well. So everybody is in the same boat. We're just extra complaining because we have extra small resources. It feels like they could just bleed us dry by continuing to have special elections for every election. They could, but we don't necessarily have to run a candidate in every election. We're the ones who are insisting on that. So they can run a candidate in every election. Because they can afford to. Exactly. But at the same time, their candidates, you know, there's this, this giant myth that old party candidates get the support of the party. And in most cases, that's not true. They consider getting elected your first time to be some sort of gauntlet. You have to go through and prove that you have the capability to organize a campaign and to run an election and get elected before you're going to get any sort of attention and certainly any sort of resources from the state party itself. You might get the support of your 
county party if you are already an involved member and you have some sort of name recognition. But you can't just magically well, yeah, you go to your yeah, you first. can't just magically show up though as a Republican or a Democrat candidate and expect to be given all sorts of support. You will receive the benefit of people who are just voting red or voting blue on election day. I don't think you can, you know, just show up as any candidate and expect support. You need to prove yourself. You do. And you know, that's something that is often, you know, kind of a myth when it comes to small or third-party candidates, uh, that there is some sort of magical support that comes with being a major-party candidate. Yes and no. There is this mythical support that comes with people who are just voting based on color and don't care who their candidate is. But as far as individual support and monetary support, you still have to get out there and you still have to campaign and you still have to fundraise. Wear holes in the bottom of your shoes. True story. So, you know, there's so many different layers to this issue, but I hope really that it helped you to kind of understand more of what's going on in North Carolina's 9th District. It's a clusterfuck. It is, and, and we'll have more on it as it evolves.